It's not always easy to find the positive. You might even need to search for happiness. Sometimes, just a little inspiration can make the difference. Here, it comes from unexpected places. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast. We were discouraged with all the negativity in the world and decided to focus on finding some good out there. Welcome to the Tangential Inspiration Podcast with me, Teresa. And me, Amy. We're two ordinary moms looking for inspiration wherever we can find it. So, Amy, anything fun going on in life? Well, I don't know if it's fun, but I was in the grocery store this weekend. I was at New Seasons, and I... Oh, my gosh. That salad dressing? I forgot to tell did you. Did you like it? So good. Oh, so good. Yes. Yay. Sorry. Go Yum. On. Carry on. Um. Anyways, I was in there, and... I just it put a smile on my face. An employee there strung banners up in between the registers. Mm-hmm. So there's four banners. And on one side, one says, like, rock it, live it, love it, work it. Mm. On the other side of it, it says, be kind, be true, be fair, be nice. But what I love the most is it's a subtle kind of gesture to, like, how we should be. Mm-hmm. To not, others. To others. Yeah. And I just it really just touched my heart. Like, it wasn't in your face, but it was mm-hmm. just like, hey. And I think we need that. Just subtle reminders. Just subtle reminders. Yeah, little, so. little things. Little yeah, things. that's awesome. And that salad dressing, I'm anxious. I actually yeah. went to New Seasons to see if they had. They have tons um, of other. other. Yeah. I, I only saw the, um, can't remember what I the other one I think they have two other ones. A green goddess. And I oh. wasn't sure if I would like that one. So um, I'm going to go back to the other one that was out of stock. But yeah. yes, thank you for turning oh, me yay. on to that salad dressing. That's good. I saw this sweet story about this darling 11-year-old surfer, Carter Dorley, from New Jersey. He spent over 700 days in a row raising money for a variety of causes. He said it feels good to help people, and I just love his spirit. He's using his surfing to raise money for charity. Uh, he taught himself to surf when he was five, and during the pandemic, with the pl- playgrounds closed and skate parks closed, the beach was open. He told his mom he was going to surf for 100 days, which turned into 730 days. His mom, Dawn, documents Carter surfing on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Carter catches waves. Oh, that's um, cute. It's really cute. He's helped a nonprofit funny farm rescue an animal sanctuary that needed money. He pledged to surf a wave for every dollar donated. He raised 320 uh, and a snowball. He collected uh, 2639 Canned goods for a local food pantry. Good for raised five hundred sixty dollars for True Spirit Coalition, and then fifteen hundred for Heart of Surfing, which offers free lessons to children with autism and developmental oh, disabilities. Good so, for Carter. I know, and he's also collected skateboards for like, local skate parks. He made Valentine's Day cards for military members. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. Recently, while watching the news, he saw a story about children in Ukraine, and he wanted to help. He raised over $1,049 for Save the Children. Wow. Talk about commitment. He surfs in the snow. His dad oh is with the Atlantic. Over my dead body. I know. Atlantic uh, City Fire Department. So he evaluates the waves and currents and weather to mm-hmm. ensure Carter's safety. His dad is like, I'm having a panic to attack, mm-hmm. while Carter's like, oh, one more. I'm fine. His mom says he's just... Is the extreme to the extremist extreme. So he loves being out there, and he's never scared. His goal is to do good and encourage other kids to try to help others. And as he puts it, you're never too little to help. You're never never too little to make a difference. I just admire his commitment just to, to, to surfing, to helping others. He's just truly making a difference. Yeah, and at such a young age. Such a so young age. Spreading that 
along to everyone. That's awesome. This is episode 97, and we're talking about Michaela Schifrin. A couple weeks ago, you texted me an article about Michaela Schifrin suggesting it baby for our podcast. The funny thing is I was going to research her back in February during the Winter Olympics in Beijing and I got sidetracked as I do sometimes. But anyway, I'm a big fan of Michaela. She is a two-time Olympic gold medalist, a World Cup alpine skier. The woman is a total powerhouse. She's four-time overall World Cup champion, four-time world champion in slalom, and a six-time winner of the World Cup. Plus, she's the youngest slalom champion in Olympic alpine skiing history at 18 years old and 345 wow. days to be exact. But they got the days. Yeah, she she was born to ski at two years old with a pair of plastic skis from Safeway. I didn't. That's they must sell skis in Vermont, but oh, they don't okay. do that here. Yeah. But her parents took her skiing, or New Hampshire rather, sugar skiing at Dartmouth Skiway in Lyme, New Hampshire. Her mom, Eileen, is a former high school downhill racer. Her dad, Jeff, was an accomplished skier as well. He skied for Dartmouth College. Actually, it's really cute. Skiing is part of their love story. They met while they both worked at St. Elizabeth Hospital outside of Boston. And her parents' first dates were at Killington Mountain in Vermont. They even competed on the Masters Circuit, where Eileen won more than Jeff. Oh, that's funny. It's kind of fun. But eventually they married and moved to Vail, Colorado, which is the yeah. perfect ski yeah. mecca, I mean, to raise Michaela and her older brother, Taylor. But they granted their children in the range of activities, soccer, tennis, windsurfing, unicycle rides, but also spending thousands of hours on the slopes. Her parents focused on the concepts of mastering skiing rather than the results, which started to come anyway for Michaela. Mm-hmm. Michaela's skiing quickly surpassed her parents, which often does. My kids barrel down the mountain faster than me. At 13, she attended legendary Vermont-based ski racing boarding school, Burke Mountain Academy. This renowned academy has produced 36 Olympians. Ironically, you know, Michaela wasn't old enough to get a driver's license when she debuted on the World Cup circuit. In 2011, Michaela met the goal she set when she was 10. That's amazing. She raced in the World Cup event at age 15. She spent her high school years competing overseas with her mom, Eileen, by her side. Eileen left her career as a nurse to focus on her daughter's skiing career. Her dad, Jeff, managed all the logistics from home while he worked as an anesthesiologist. He was the rock, for sure. I mean, when he could get away from his work, he would join them. He always was at the finish line with a camera in hand, ready to grab a photo of Michaela. Proud dad. Yeah, totally. Beyond her natural ability, she has an incredible work ethic. Her dad believed that a person can master anything if he or she practices for at least 10,000 hours. So, wow. Bruce Lee would agree with that. Well, and that's that's roughly working 40 hours a week for five years. Oh, my gosh. And that's also Malcolm Gladwell of Tipping Point. That's his big thing, uh too. So that must, you know, it's a number. But anyway, she took it to heart with a new focus to get 10,000 hours to reach her Olympic dream. She split her time between skiing and then working out in the gym. It paid off in 2014, qualifying for the Sochi Olympics. Just shy of her 19th birthday, she became the youngest woman's slalom champion in Olympic history. That's a mouthful. It is. I mean, and impressive. Impressive. And then she's on Sports Illustrated. She did a collaboration cookbook with Barella Pasta mm-hmm. called Winning Recipes. Hmm. I wonder but, if that was good. Yeah. I, I looked it up. It, it had a lot of recipes, mm-hmm. just, you know, just kind of 
high power her and just kind of healthy okay you know but with all the successes and opportunities came the performance anxiety Mm -hmm. she said no matter how much success I've had in my career it was like a constant battle of trying to prove my worth each passing season the pressure built up to the point she was so nervous she'd puke Mm. she was having panic attacks and began seeing a sports psychologist Uh, She kept questioning why she was skiing. Even though she knew she was good, she just didn't feel good enough. It really kind of started to mess with her head. And then even in 2018, after picking up her second, you know, gold medal in silver, she left the Olympic Games feeling completely depleted. You know, as a result of this, you know, self-doubt, it increased. She tried to focus on some other things. She decided to distract herself with plans to build a home in Edwards, Colorado. Mm-hmm. And this was going to be a, kind of double as the family home. Just eight months after she and her parents moved into their new home, she received devastating news. Michaela was away in Italy training when she got a call from her brother that her dad had fallen doing some chores around the house and had sustained a severe head injury. Fortunately, she made it back from Italy in time to say goodbye. Jeff died at 65. So young. Uh, So young. And she was devastated and angry because she felt bad that he was alone. And Mm -hmm. if someone was there, he might have gotten medical attention sooner. Afterwards, she couldn't sleep or eat. She didn't want to ski. Depression. Depression. Yeah. Yeah, she said it became hard for me to separate who I am as a person or even my self worth from my races. Then six weeks later, the world shut down due to COVID. The rest of the World Cup tour was canceled. Michaela was not able to ski for three months. And then during the time she started dating uh, Norwegian alpine skier Alexander Ahmad uh, Kilde, and they'd been friends for eight years prior, but they just started dating after Michaela lost her dad. And he was a great encourager. I mean, he would say, like, just keep fighting. He was kind of by her side. And then right before the 2022 Winter Olympics, she suffered a back injury. And it was so painful she couldn't move, which delayed her training. Then she tested positive for COVID, so she had to train alone. It just seemed like things were kind of stacked up against her before she even made it to that starting line. And even though, you know, she had no energy left, she entered five individual ski disciplines. If she meddled in just two of the events, she would have been the most decorated American female alpinist in um, Olympic history. Wow. But there is no room for error in the Olympics, and mm-hmm. every faction of a second counts. You know, talk about the yeah. pressure. During the giant slalom, she slipped and didn't finish. And in the slalom, an event she normally dominates, she skied out and drifted to the side of the course, all of this being captured on film. Aww. She sat for 20 minutes as competitors, you know, blazed pastor i don't know did you see any of it i I didn't i watched it as it happened and oh i mean my heart went out to her i mean there is no private time up on the race course the world watches and unfortunately judges i think we forget that these athletes are human because of their almost superhero like abilities well i think that carter you just talked about too total hero total hero uh, they can have a lot on the line for this lady. Exactly. They can have bad days, too. I love that the NBC Olympics executive, um, she commented, we're, re- we're watching real people with real emotions in real time. And we did everything we we're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. You know, and she crashed a third time during the women's alpine combined. Oh, I'm sure it messed with her. Oh, um, messed with her head. Confidence, yeah. For sure. 
In the end, she placed ninth in women's uh, Super G and 18th in the downhill. She said, it didn't go well at first, and then I felt pressure, disappointment, shame, and embarrassment of knowing I couldn't go back and change it. Michaela said that she had been repressing her feelings for years and decided to open up. She said she needed to face it, and I could either choose to do it in shame, or I could choose to stand up straight and, I don't know, bear my soul, which she did. I just admire her spirit and bravery. For Um, sure. I can't believe admits apologizing to fans. The trolls out there commented on socials that she choked. These trolls couldn't do a portion of what she does. Right. It just amazes me that they can sit behind a computer screen and shred some on the Yeah. And also, you know, they don't understand that the Olympics are only just... A fraction, you know, mm-hmm. they—they're—it's not even their best measure. No, as an alpine skier, I just Complete so ignorance, yeah, and, no. and lack of understanding. I so admire that she stated it's not always easy, but it's also not the end of the world to fail. Fail twice, fail five times at the Olympics. Enter me, Schifrin tweeted that after her final individual race, which I just admire that honesty because we, you know, failure is part of. Oh, absolutely. Of life. life. Yeah. yeah. We learn from our failure. And her, it's just, it's just, you know, it's, it's more on a stage yeah. for her. But yeah. as she grieved the loss of her father and kind of redefined her relationship with skiing, she wrote a moving essay about the deep sea of grief of losing her dad. She wrote that, I stuffed myself in shirts and I breathed in deep and thought of him and sobbed. She talks about how there's a certain smell everyone has. Mm-hmm. It's not cologne. As she puts it, it's a smell like when you give a big hug. And it's embedded in the fibers of the, fav- of the favorite t-shirts, mm-hmm. of the favorite shirts. It's a beautiful essay. It reminded me of this quilt, which I brought to, <laughs> because my I sister. To see. Well, yeah, no, when my uh, father passed away, she took his shirts and made this quilt. Oh my gosh, that's beautiful. And it's like. We're going to have to take a picture and put like, it up on our some website. Some of them are t shirts, some of them are like regular shirts. And then my dad was of the generation you wore an undershirt. And yeah. so this is his undershirt. Oh, my gosh. And she, she embroidered that heart on there. But he was a nautical oh, man, so we have yeah. all these nautical shirts. And then she put on the back, you know, made, you know, for Amy in memory of Dad. Mm. And then Christmas oh 2011. Gosh, that so, is the best. So I love that. And, you know, it's been washed a bazillion times. And I think that's the thing about quilts. They should be washed mm-hmm. and loved and used. Yeah, used. So, yeah. anyways, that that's, that's my show and tell. Yeah, but I moving on. We'll move, take a picture. Moving along. You know, I just, I love how Michaela reflects back and says that her best moment in the Olympics ended up being me just, you know, trying to communicate what was actually going on through my head and hoping that somebody out there might be reading it and thinking, that's how I feel today. You know, I applaud Michaela. so mature. So mature. And so putting herself out there, you know, sharing her journey. It reminded me of episode 69 where we talked about World Cup champion, Olympic gold medalist, Alpine skier, Lindsay Mm -hmm. Vaughn who struggled with feelings of anxiety and depression while competing. Lindsay, now retired, has been speaking out about her battle with depression. She describes her Olympics and World Cup champion wins as a roller coaster, where she would stand up stomping her feet, her skis, rather, excuse me, uh, mentally reviewing every nuance of the race course and would say to herself, I got this, I can do it. Then the adrenaline rush after the racing, and then she'd be going like 90 miles per hour down the hill. It's pretty crazy. That is beyond crazy. And then after the race, she says it was when she would really struggle, heading back to the hotel alone. And, and as her depression worsened, she had times where she would just cry herself to sleep 
and you know she kept telling herself this would pass. And then finally, a friend suggested a therapist and who prescribed Zoloft. And then within a month, she felt better. But she also says it's not just the antidepressants. Mm-hmm. It's the therapy, it's the journaling, uh, surrounding yourself with friends and, you know, working out. Just constant. Constant yeah. things. Another a- athlete uh, speaking out is Naomi Osaka, who withdrew from the French Open in mm-hmm. uh, 2021 to protect her mental health. She became an advocate working with a wellness platform, Modern Health, to improve access to evidence-based mental health care. What's sad is she also was hit with the trolls. Just right. People are so unkind. What does she owe them? She owes them nothing. I she know. needs to take care of herself. So, yeah. And she says, you know, more than ever, athletes are speaking up about, you know, without the shame or stigma. Rather than being looked at as weak, they're being regarded as human. She further points out that this needs to be the standard rather than the exception. Absolutely. I love this. And, of course, we chatted about gold medalist uh, Simone Biles in episode 46 and her struggles with mental health. For Michaela, you know, in the beginning of her career, she said things made more sense, and now it's much different. She found it helpful to realize that others who came before her had experienced pain and loss, too, and somehow they came out on the other side. One month after the Olympics in Beijing, Michaela was back on top again. She won her fourth World Cup overall title, winning the coveted Crystal Globe. Now the competitive season's over, and she's slowing down and taking time to think about goal setting. She said for the longest time, it was simply just to continue, you know, and now she's looking at getting more things out of it. She admits that she sometimes reads the posts, people Mm -hmm. write about Mm -hmm. her. Don't do it. Don't don't do do it. I mean, we all look at Instagram and Facebook, and you go down those rabbit holes. But she's shifting, you know, when she she realizes that's happening, Mm -hmm. she shifts her focus into her training, long bike rides, walks with her mom, watching her favorite show, Schitt's Creek. Good choice, good choice. I still have not seen that one. Oh, my gosh, it's so good. But Michaela hopes the main takeaway for people is that sometimes it's simply as just getting out of bed Mm -hmm. and putting one foot in front of the other. And sometimes all you're doing is trying, and sometimes that's enough. Absolutely, like Jesse in that out of the ashes where it was one minute at a time. Just then let's do two minutes. Yeah, exactly. Just little baby steps. Just to get, yeah. I love that. that is enough. It is enough. It is. It's enough. I love this woman's work ethic for sure and her spirit. I love watching her barrel down the race course. But what I admire most is her bravery in bringing awareness to mental health and the reality that professional athletes aren't immune to it and they should be given space to process it without judgment or stigma. I also love how she wrote about the loss of her dad and that beautiful essay, Grief is Hard and it sucks the wind out of you, I know, yeah. personally. And it's it's hard to share and really often hard to put words to that pain. Um, that's why I appreciate her openness to write about it. She's healing and she's helping others to find peace in the process. Which is so helpful for yeah. all of us because it's hard when you're in that position. It's hard to know what to do for people in that position. Right. So the more people that are like Talk about it. that are yeah, putting it out there, it, it just helps others. Yeah. Awesome. It's like a puzzle or a painting or music. When I ski, it's like a song. I can hear the rhythm in my head. And when I start to ski, that rhythm and I start to really link my turns together. All of a sudden, there's so much flow and power that I just can't help but feel amazing. That's where the joy comes from. Michaela Schifrin. It's definitely no secret that we love books. Yeah. I mean, I both love to I read. I feel like I've become a 
book I know. worm, which Crazy I would never... Book, yeah. yeah. We read probably at least a book a week, and sometimes more just to get ready for the podcast, right. which I love. That's yeah. probably... That's the thing I like the most is the yeah. reading, yeah. the writing, <laughs> and then the talking. Yeah. I'm not so... It's slower on the list, too, but... I know, learning the reading. The reading's the best part. I love. Yeah. My family teases me that I, you know, my library on the garage. But I've scaled that back quite a bit recently. And while my husband reads off of a Kindle, I like the feel of a book in my hands. Me too. I've I've tried that, but I I love the book. I just don't absorb it the same, Mm -hmm. which is weird. I I love the pages. Yeah, me too. I'm old-fashioned that way. But in addition to books, you know, I love the library. And sometimes I have a tower there to go check out because I'll... Yeah, you know, request and put a hold on and whatever. But books are powerful. They have a way to take you, you know, to a far off galaxy if you're into right. like sci-fi, which I'm not, or to a time long ago with history, which I love yeah. to read, or an intriguing murder mystery, true right. crime. They can teach you how to organize our homes. I love all of the. I've discovered the home edit. Oh yeah, I have <gasps> the home edit books. Those are good. Oh my gosh. Love this and they have episodes. Yeah, yeah, I've been listening to that on Netflix. But um, Cleo must be going through breast cancer, oh. so I was gonna, you know, send her a little note that that yeah, might just be like, stay strong. We have books to invest for our future, answering questions when someone's expecting a baby. Books can make you laugh. They right. can make you cry. They give you hope. They explain how they have recipes. Lives. Yes, and they just yeah, they, they just make the world interesting. They enrich knowledge. Is good, exactly. Most of the books I read are historical or biographies. I love learning about people, and books present an amazing way to see how people were shaped. I love learning the backstory on people. And I think it's, you know, because we've lived such a, sh- I've lived such a sheltered life, it's interesting for me to to read in a book what, I mean, stuff I had no idea right. yeah. people have gone through. But anyway, one of the greatest things I get from a book is perspective. My story and my background are so greatly different from others i think it's so easy to slip into the view that everybody around you has the same story right the reality is that people have vastly different experiences and experiences i'll never have reading a book about someone who was in combat in afghanistan gives me a sense of the experience but i'm never going to be in combat but reading about it from someone who has at least gives me something to think about a different perspective right or how i think about those serving in combat it helps me understand that better. Likewise, reading about how a transgender teen struggles through school helps me understand the difficulties that yeah. they face. And I'm aware that just because I read about those experiences, it's nowhere near the same as living through them. But it helps me understand right. them better. Sure, for I don't sure. get it. Well, you know, I, I'm not going to be an expert in it, but at least I understand it more. And understanding others is an important part of accepting others. And having empathy, I think that's the huge part. Yeah, for Being sure. Being empathetic towards people who aren't like you. That, to me, is the power of books. And that's why the current movement to ban books, I know. and this is where I'm going to get some trolls, because yeah. it's just disturbing and dangerous. The banning of books is by no means something new. Books have been banned, they've been burned since right. before the printing press was even invented. And throughout history, the banning of books have been used as a tool to silence the voice of others. A pagan book might have been burned for witchcraft because it promoted herbal remedies and not solely prayer. Hitler burned books that he thought might challenge his ideology 
of Aryan supremacy and undermine his authoritarian regime. In the 1950s, books were banned for being communist if they expressed any form of socialism, like health care for all, or even promoting civil rights. Wow. And now, a new movement for banning books is coming into our, our schools and our local libraries, seeking to ban books that exhibit woke culture. Yeah. I want to be clear, book banning occurs on both sides, the right. left and the right. Liberal groups tried to get To Kill a Mockingbird oh. and Huckleberry Finn out of libraries at various times. Yeah. I know. And it, it, I understand it's because of the use of the N-word and the depictions of racism. Some Dr. Seuss books right. have been pulled from shelves for racist depictions. However, historically and currently, the major push for book banning comes from the other side, spurred by false political rhetoric about what's being taught in schools. The critical race theory, or CRT, is being banned in grades K through 12 in schools across the country, despite CRT being college-level theories that have not been taught, in right. the most part, in K through 12 school. Wokeness has been defined by the right as anything that raises issues about racism, sexuality, gender identity, or even unflattering parts of our own history. Books that talk about racism, like The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas, a novel based on real-life events involving a police shooting of a black man, are claimed to be divisive and anti-police. And we've talked That's about a good how... That's um, I, I checked that out, and... The movie's um, good, too. Oh, I haven't seen... I yeah. didn't know it was a movie. Yeah. yeah. Oh. And I so support our police officers. It's just... it It's... It's a hard, way to come together. Yeah, it's a hard space, yeah. But books that examine racism from the viewpoint of a person of color seem to be deemed subversive at an extraordinarily higher rate, and they're top of the banned books list. Books that contain LGBTQ characters or themes are also at the top of the list of banned books. Even the humorous graphic book called Captain Underpants, which is targeted oh, toward really? fourth grade boys, has been banned in some communities simply because it's revealed that one of the characters who's in the book in grade school. Anyway, they fast forward into the future, and one of the characters in the book is gay. And so okay. they consider it sexually explicit, even though, I mean, it's not a, a right. plot of, uh, yeah. So I, anyway, now they're going after the whole series. But uh, even less controversial books like Harry Potter yeah. or The Hunger Games, which I wasn't around The Hunger Games yeah. for other reasons, but still, I'm not going to ban them. They're being targeted because they involve standing up to authoritarian regimes and have themes of rebellion against oppressive governments. Now, I'd be in trouble because I love Star Wars and oh you know, Princess Leia and the yeah. rebellion. So, and doing right, being on the side of good. Yeah, I don't. So I don't believe in banning, banning books like that. I get that there are certain books that definitely should not be in kindergarten through 12 school libraries. Commonly banned book, the series Fifty Shades of Grey. Oh, for sure. Those books are so erotica. Yeah. yeah. They're written for adults. adults. Yeah, not appropriate. And while they certainly, you know, have people, if they want, public library, that's one thing. But they definitely shouldn't be in a school library. However, it's a very different thing when voices of people talking about things that impact their lives are being silenced. Yeah. People should be able to, to openly discuss difficult and even unpleasant parts of their life experiences. The people trying to ban these books are trying to do so because it doesn't reflect their life experiences. Right. They've learned more. We don't want they, to rewrite history. No. I mean, we, we need to have Include that. Include more and grow from them. Right. Learn from so we them. we never forget. So yeah. We always... Exactly. They should be learning that not everyone thinks or feels the same. Americans in particular should be aware that not everybody in the world lives the way we do. And that's a great thing. Right. It's, I mean, difference is good. 
These books expose issues that are all too real in the lives of people in both the United States and around the world, issues that we might not even think about. These voices help us learn and understand the world that others face, even when it's vastly different from our own experiences. I talked about, you know, Jesse, the indigenous man from Canada. I had no idea the things that people, when they are struggling with substance abuse, like the level, I, I just, I couldn't, I mean, without reading that book, I still would not have, I still don't understand it, but I'm touching the surface at least. Even more, these books may let others who have similar experiences to the author or the characters in the book know that they are not alone. There is no shortage of books based on middle-class white people, but finding books that speak to the experience of a young Sudanese refugee adapting to America or to a young gay Vietnamese man struggling through high school or about a black family that endures systemic racism as they try to you know, get a better future for their children those are harder to come by, yeah. as we've found, you know, researching for the podcast. They can see themselves in these books. And these types of books let people know that they're not alone dealing with these issues. They can see themselves in these books, and they know they're not alone. They're not the only ones dealing with those struggles. Right. By trying to ban books that describe sexuality, race relations, unflattering history, or even anti-establishment ideas. These groups are trying to erase the realities of other people who aren't like them. They erase opportunities for growth and erase opportunities for empathy, which, yeah, that's... And all, I mean, knowledge, exactly. too. Just, I was going to say an understanding. Okay, yeah. They erase opportunities to feel acceptance. Groups that are promoting book banning want to eliminate other perspectives out of fear. That's really, I think, what it boils down to. Maybe if they actually read some of these books by people that they're trying to ban them, they might it might help them overcome their fear. So what can we do to stop the banning of books in our area? The American Library Association, or the ALA, was founded in 1876. Wow. It's the oldest. Time. I know. So I had that little pause there. It's the oldest and largest library association in the world. The ALA has an office of intellectual freedom that fights book banning. They even have a nationwide event, Banned Book Week, which is September 18th to September 24th this year. I love their slogan, Books Unite Us. Censorship divides us. With libraries and librarians becoming increasingly under attack, the purpose of Banned Books Week is to highlight books that are being banned in schools and libraries across the country. They come together with publishers, booksellers, authors, and librarians to raise awareness and organize anti-banning events across the country. Sharing stories, important to us, means sharing a part of ourselves. Books reach across boundaries and build connections between readers. Censorship, on the other hand, creates barriers. Banned Books Week is both a reminder of the unifying power of stories and the divisiveness of censorship and a call to action for readers across the country to push back against censorship attempts in their community. You can support the ALA Ban Book Week, get more information on book banning, and get involved in some anti-banning events by visiting www.ala.org backslash advocacy. We need to fight back and yeah. keep these voices alive. We'll put the link up on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Not until we are lost do we begin to understand ourselves. Henry David Thoreau. Thanks for listening to Tangential Inspiration. We really want to hear from you. Email us your comments or story suggestions at tangentialinspiration at gmail.com. 
or leave a comment on our website, tangentialinspiration.com. Our website has all our podcast episodes, show notes, stories, follow-ups, and links to websites and books we talk about. Like and subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app, and you can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Have a great week.